Hey there, welcome to episode 24 of the Boob Report podcast, powered by Helix Interactive. Today, I'm hanging out with Martha Tettenborn, registered dietitian and ovarian cancer survivor who worked with her own diet to get through chemo just a little bit easier. Let's get started. All right. We are very, very excited. This is going to be some cool, cool stuff we're going to be talking about today with Martha. Welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be here, Michelle. Oh, I appreciate it. I, um, we met through a podcasting group and touched base and it's amazing. And I'm very, very excited to talk about the book and your experience and all of that. So we're, we're just going to dive right in here and, and have you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how you got started on all of this. Sure. So um, my name is Martha Tettenborn. I am a registered dietitian um, in Ontario, Canada, and um, I am an ovarian cancer survivor. So not a boob. Uh, my mother, my my mother did the boob thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, but mine was ovarian stage one. Um, it was an extremely large cyst that nobody knew was cancer until after they had ruptured it inside my abdomen to suck it dry and pull it out. Um, so because of that, I had to do chemotherapy. So this all happened in the summer of 2018. No, 2019. Um, and so I had, um, I found this large cyst in my abdomen that had never been there before. Um, when I laid down on the floor to do a plank one day, actually, and, um, and it turned out to be a 16 centimeter ovarian fluid filled cyst. Now that's about six inches. Um, so it was huge and it kept growing in the couple of months between when I found it and when I finally had it removed. Um, by the time I had it taken out, it had a liter and a half of fluid in it. <laughs> so oh, God. it was like being about five months pregnant. Um, anyways, they, because it was so big, they had to rupture it inside my abdomen and, and pull it out, um, through a laparoscopic incision, which was our choice because it did not look like cancer. The cancer marker that they tested for was really low. Um, like it was slightly elevated, but it's not a great test. And so nobody thought it was cancer. And so I had this laparoscopic surgery day surge and came home and started recovering. And six days later, I got a phone call saying, come back and see the surgeon tomorrow morning, bring your husband. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I work in healthcare. So it was like, I know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not good. Um, so that started me down the path of um, being somebody with cancer. And it really rocked my world in a lot of ways, not the least of which was the fact that um, as a dietitian and as someone who had gone into low carb and ketogenic diet, I was already a bit of a left fielder, you know, a bit of a renegade as far as dietetics goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, my my stock in trade was that I was so healthy, right? Yeah. Um, I was 58. I was in like perfect health. I had just hiked the Inca trail a couple of years before and nothing ached. And I took no meds, not a thing. Like I was really, I was pretty smug actually um, about my health. And, uh, and this really, this really sent me for a loop mm-hmm. that I had to admit that, um, that, yeah, I got one of the big ones like cancer, right. right. And an ovarian, which is a, not a good not a good track record on ovarian cancer. It's exactly. uh, yeah, it's considered 
uh, cancer that whispers, they call it. It's a, like a silent cancer because mm-hmm. your ovaries are buried so deep inside your body. Um, of course, they're they're precious. They carry the eggs, right? So right. evolution has put them deep inside. And um, so you don't notice symptoms generally until it's it's late in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, about 75% or more of women who are diagnosed with ovarian cancer are discovered at stage three or stage four which is really late. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, I feel really blessed that the tumor was, or the cyst was enormous enough that it had to be dealt with right away. Um, Now, I mean, right away in Canada, in Ontario, in the middle of summer meant that it was a full two months before I got my surgery from the time I found it. But um, um, yeah, so stage one. But wow. because they ruptured it, it was considered a technically to be a spill. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a kind of cancer that um, likes to stick around in your abdominal and pelvic cavities. And um, cancer cells can can land on the surfaces of other organs or the wall of your abdomen or the omentum, which is the sort of the fatty layer that that lives in there that kind of protects all your internal organs. And it can seed tumors. Oh, um, other tumors. So what, what often happens in late stage ovarian cancer is you've got these seeded tumors all over your abdominal cavity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it was highly recommended that I do further surgery and chemotherapy. Wow. Now just sort of a question because you and I are right around the same age. I'm, I'm 55. Um, we, uh, did menopause play any sort of part in that? Do you think or was, I mean, was it just something you were going through at the same time or how oh, I've been in menopause for 10 years. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, I started, I started with that when I was 50. Okay. Um, now with my mother, having had premenopausal breast cancer, mm-hmm. I had always sworn up down and sideways that I would not take any hormonal replacement therapy or anything like that for menopause, because I knew that, um, that my risk was higher. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also knew that my mother was a real outlier as far as cancer um, goes. She was the only person in her family to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, her her mother and her aunt lived into their mid 90s in good health. Um, her, her two sisters are still in terrific health. One's in her mid 90s and the other one's almost 90. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was an outlier, but she was also someone who had polio as a seven-year-old child in the depression in the, in uh-huh. rural Ontario, a long way from any big hospitals. Um, and so she had all kinds of treatments and surgeries on, you know, misshapen backs and legs and stuff when she was young. So who knows what they did to her young teenage body. Right. So I didn't consider myself at high risk for cancer, um, but I knew I didn't want to take replacement therapy. Right. However, the hot flashes got the better of me. And I did end up doing some bioidentical progesterone um, cream treatments Mm -hmm. to help me get through the first couple of years of that. Um, But I was only on it for maybe three years um, on and off. And then I used an S ring for a while, which is the, um, the cervical ring that, Mm -hmm. that just puts local estrogen in place. And I mean, looking back, I wonder whether that has something to do with ovarian cancer. I don't know. 
you know, right. who knows, right? Oh yeah. I mean, we're learning, learning stuff every day. I personally, I was diagnosed uh, with breast cancer at 49 and I was perimenopausal at the time um, already, you know, suffering from the hot flashes and all the fun stuff that comes along with that. But same thing, I didn't do any sort of hormone replacement therapy uh, because my cancer was estrogen based. So I, you know, I try to do supplements and, you know, do what I can uh, because I just, they're, my doctor was the same way. They're like, eh, not a good idea because, because of the estrogen based cancer that I had, but yeah, those hot flashes, they're so fun. <laughs> oh man. And it was summer. Like they literally started within three weeks of my 50th birthday. Oof. And it's like, Oh crap. Welcome to your fifties, Martha. Mm-hmm. You know? And like, say it was summer. It was just like, Oh my God, don't touch me. And yeah. yeah. So I, eventually I was getting like, 12 of them a night, maybe. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny story would work for any of your girls that are, you know, going through this. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to try and keep track of how many hot flashes I was having over the night, but mm-hmm. I didn't want to have it kind of disrupt my sleep. So I, um, when I would have a hot flash, I would wake up enough Mm -hmm. that I would throw off the covers. And then after a couple of minutes, I'd be cold and I'd put the covers back on. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I had a Kleenex box beside my bed. And literally every time I got a hot flash, I just pulled a Kleenex out of the Kleenex box and I dropped it on the floor. Oh, just the tissue. I just dropped Uh, it on the floor. Right. So that the next morning I could wake up and count how many Kleenexes were on the floor. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. That that's, that's an interesting way to do it. Yeah. Cause you don't want to go as opposed to like, you know, trying to write something or, you know, it just, I didn't want to wake up that much. (laughs) Right. I don't, Oh, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Well, so once you got your diagnosis and you, um, you know, you were, the plan was the treatment plan was to go through chemotherapy. So as a, uh, dietitian nutritionist, were you planning ahead knowing you were going to have to go through chemo or was this something that the experience with chemo that, you know, really uh, motivated you to write the book? No, I was, I I was looking ahead. I I was terrified of chemo. Mm -hmm. Um, Chemo is poison. I mean, it's basically the premise of chemo is to try and kill the cancer cells before you kill the the patient, Mm -hmm. you know, um, like how much can the patient handle <laughs> is kind yeah. of the limiting factor for chemotherapy. Um, and I, I'm incredibly drug naive. Like I, like I say, I take nothing. Um, I can probably count on two hands, the number of Tylenols I have in a year, you know, it's that, that drug naive. So <laughs> I was really scared of the, the side effects in particular. Um, and so I started looking like I say, I was already a bit of a renegade because I was in this whole low carb ketogenic sort of world. I had done extra health coaching um, certification and had a private practice as a low carb coach. And I lived a low carb, healthy fat sort of lifestyle, you know, mm-hmm. whole, whole foods, animal based, healthy fats. Um, and so I, uh, I just started looking for anything I could find about cancer. Because as dietitians, really, all we were trained to do is to try and help people not die of the side effects, not mm-hmm. lose weight. Right. Um, so, you know, there wasn't anything about 
ameliorating the side effects as much as it was like eating despite the side effects. Mm -hmm. And that's where we got into things like the nutritional supplement products like Enger and Boost and all those sorts of commercial products, but also um, what they called the high energy, high protein diet, which was nutrient or not even nutrient calorie density Mm -hmm. in small quantities. So, you know, the, the typical example is a piece of toast is, you know, 80 calories piece of toast, you add a tablespoon or a teaspoon or two of butter, teaspoon or two of peanut butter, you put some jam on top. Now you're up to about 300 calories. It's still only one piece of toast. Mm -hmm. And so that was the kind of thing we were teaching them, but it used all kinds of extra sugars. And of course, butter was, you know, considered evil. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we would probably be recommending margarine, though I will say that never in my entire career did I recommend margarine. And that in itself, in right, almost right. 40 years, put me as an outlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I went down this rabbit hole of like, what can I do? And um, that's when I discovered that there was this entire field of science that I didn't know anything about called cancer metabolism, and that there was a disordered metabolism um, to cancer. Mm-hmm. And nobody knew this, like it, it was it was known in the 1920s, 1930s, there was research being done, there was people who were winning Nobel prizes for, you know, examining and explaining some of this stuff. But it got lost, because we discovered DNA. And, you know, Mm -hmm. the and then they discovered that cancer has damaged DNA. And so the entire machinery of the cancer industry went shifted over to genetics and just left metabolism in the dust heap of history. Right. Um, It doesn't help either that the best work was being done by Germans. Mm. And of course, you know, we had two big wars against the Germans and, and um, so their science was, would not be held in the same regard um, as American work probably well English speaking work anyways right so that was another reason I think that it got lost for quite a while but it is being revived and there's all kinds of amazing research being done now on um, metabolic um, abnormalities in cancer identifying them and then once you identify them you can look at how to intervene Mm -hmm. of course metabolism is about fuel usage and fuel usage is about fuel and fuel is nutrition. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, it comes right back to food and nutrition, which is where I live. So um, it was it was absolutely mind blowing to me that there was things that we could do nutrition wise in, t- in terms of our food choices, and particularly in terms of uh, metabolic ketosis and fuel partitioning, carbs versus fats versus proteins and so on that will actually impact on cancer's ability to grow. And what became even more of a mind blow was that you could actually impact on your chemotherapy treatment um, experience, Mm -hmm. particular side effects, and making the chemo more effective using nutritional interventions. And and there was research being done on this, which, you know, like I say, blew my mind. So that's where I got... Yeah. yeah, I, I, because I, for me, I didn't have to do chemo or radiation. I'm very blessed in that fact that I didn't have to do it, but I know more often than not, that's what I hear from, you know, people that have gone through it is I don't have an appetite. I don't have this. They're so run down. So knowing that there's 
an actual plus side to the nutrition and what you're putting in your, you know, your body to sort of help counterbalance what's going on with the, uh, with the chemo is fascinating. Mm -hmm. I know. And effective, like Mm -hmm. it was really effective. Um, I, so my, my intervention in a nutshell, after I did all the research and it was, you know, based on the research, um, lots more research has to be done, but you know, people who are facing cancer, they don't have time to wait for that. Right. Right. Yeah. Like I say, you know, you can't turn the Titanic, but I can turn on a dime. I'm like on a skateboard, you know? (laughs) Um, So I, um, I implemented a fairly strict ketogenic diet, which I maintained for the entire time that I was in chemotherapy. So I was actually in ketosis for the whole time I was in chemo. Mm-hmm. And then for each chemo treatment, I fasted um, for about two days or 36 hours prior to my chemo um, infusion. Mm-hmm. And then about 24 hours after the end of the infusion. And that did two things that number one is it really dropped the amount of sugar in mm-hmm. my blood. So not none, but I mean, low and steady, there was no sugar spikes. Um, and it increased the amount of ketosis that or ketones that I was producing. So I was already in mild ketosis with the diet. And then the fasting would take me into deeper ketosis. Okay. Um, and so because of that, the amount of insulin circulating in my blood would drop and the insulin like growth factor and some of those other growth factors that cancer loves to have in order to grow. Mm -hmm. So those were very low. Um, But what that does is it stresses the cancer cells because cancer, one of the hallmarks of cancer is that it has no off switch. It has no way to slow down its metabolism in response to the fuel supply situation that it's in. Um, It is always hungry. And it's always looking to divide and it's always looking for in particular glucose or which is blood sugar, which comes from carbohydrates in your diet. So um, by cutting those down, you're stressing the cancer cells, which is awesome because then when you hit them with something like radiation or chemotherapy or um, hyperbaric oxygen or whatever other treatments you're doing, Mm -hmm. um, then they are already in a weakened state. So it actually potentiates the effect of the, of the pulse, whatever it is, the, in my case, the chemo. Right. But the really cool thing that I found and the the part that just kind of blew me away and what made me write the book was that your healthy cells will shut down into a quiet sort of maintenance mode when the fuel supply dries up. So, yeah, so your body goes into, I call it stealth mode, but basically it just quiets down. It makes no effort at, you know, rapid growth and and stuff. And it will go into almost a autophagy type house cleaning mode Mm -hmm. and it waits for the fuel supply to come back. And that's an evolutionary adaptation that we've had for millions of years um, because, you know, back on the African savanna, two million years ago, you didn't eat three times a day. Mm -hmm. You feasted when you had a chance, when you killed an animal or something, um, and then you fasted or you ate, you know, roots and berries, Mm -hmm. um, until you found some more meat generally. Um, so we have that built into our system. The parts of our body that really need to have energy operate very well on ketones. So that's things like your skeletal muscle, your heart muscle, Um, and particularly your brain, brain loves running on ketones. Um, so you're not harming yourself in any way by doing that. Mm 
But what you are doing is you're quieting down your healthy cells. So when the chemotherapy hits your system, it's kind of a blunt weapon. It's looking for the metabolic markers of fast activity, of of rapid growth activity, because that's what cancer does. So that's what chemo is aimed at, is targeted at. And the quiet cells are just sitting there and and the chemo just passes them by literally passes the by and just heads for the cancer cells that have the big red flashing lights on them that go, you know, pick me, pick me. Right. And so your, your healthy cells don't get hit the same way, which translates into less side effects. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. That makes because sense. side effects happen to the parts of your body that normally are pretty rapidly multiplying. Mm-hmm. So things like your hair follicles, <laughs> right. Um, but also the cells in your bone marrow that produce your immune system and all your blood components like hemoglobin and platelets and white blood cells and and so on. Um, And your red blood cells, they're all built in your bone marrow. So that's a growth area. Um, And the lining of your, your airways and the lining of your digestive tract, right from top to bottom is also a rapidly growing and turning over area because you're always making new cells and new, you know, the mucus lining and everything in your gut, which mm-hmm. is why things like mouth sores are very common and, and nausea and vomiting and diarrhea and constipation and all those other things that go with your GI tract, uh-huh. they're all impacted because those are fast moving areas. But if you fast and you quiet them all down, then they don't get hit as hard. And it's, it's freaking amazing. That's so I went through six rounds of um, carboplatin and paclitaxel, uh-huh. which were the two drugs that were recommended for me. The paclitaxel went in by IV and the carboplatin went into a port that was placed under my ribs and it, it was poured directly into my pelvic cavity. So I, rather than taking it by vein, it made more sense with the kind of cancer I had to actually pour it in my abdomen. <laughs> right. So that's, so that's what they would do. And I had said to the doc, hit me with your best shot because I do not plan to do this more than once. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm don't, I'm not looking for a light dose. I want what you think is going to be the best dose. Right. Right. So I did six courses. I fasted all six courses. I never once threw up Mm. not once I had almost no nausea I didn't have to take any extra meds for nausea most of the time um I never missed a meal unless I was fasting in Mm -hmm. fact I never missed making a meal because I'm the cook in my house and I like it that way right and so I mean and I was never horizontal like I was never in bed um for days or anything I had a recliner chair that was my my little nest And I would, you know, get up every hour or so and I'd wander around the house and I'd maybe empty the dishwasher or put on a load of laundry or go to the end of the driveway to the mailbox or something. Um, And or make, you know, bacon and eggs if that's all it was for supper, but Mm -hmm. then I'd climb back in my chair. And like I say, I never, I was never down and out. And that would last for maybe four days. Mm -hmm. I'd have some muscle aches on and off. Um, never any neuropathy, no fingers, toes, numbness, anything like that. Um, and, uh, and it never got worse. In fact, with each treatment, the side effects seem to be a little lighter than the one before, which is exactly the opposite of what they tell you to expect, because Mm -hmm. normally it's a cumulative effect, right? So basically you're 
you were training your body, you were helping your body, giving it, you know, um, time to recover and not having all those obstacles in the way of, you know, the food still in your system and, and what, whatever else I, I have to tell you, my husband is all about fasting. He, he is really into that. I, I do it occasionally, but um, it's something that's in my head that I'm like, oh, no, 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 I'm hungry. I'm hungry when I'm really not. And so I'm still working, you know, to get there, but he's, he's all about it. He has read so many articles and he does it on a regular basis. And I've, I've got people, you know, that I know that do it as well, that are not going through any major medical thing. And it just makes them feel so much better to do that. Yeah, no, it's it's a powerful tool. I mean, these things are all tools, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, chemo is a tool, but fasting is also a tool. A keto diet is a tool. I don't mm-hmm. live in ketosis all the time. Like I, I live a normally a moderate, low carb, um, healthy foods type of diet. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you know, I'm I'm lucky enough to live in a rural area where I know the farmers and I can buy. Um, you know, local meat and local fish. I live on the Great Lakes so that I, I can get some local fish. And, mm-hmm. um, and I'm, you know, I mean, but it's Canada in the winter. <laughs> the only right. vegetables here come from the States, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the fresh, like the, the lettucey type stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, but no, that's how I eat normally. I'm very careful about not much in the way of sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really careful about industrial seed oils and those, um, those industrial fats that are really inflammatory and, and really bad for you. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I eat normal, healthy, um, yeah. low carb. I, I don't, that. I don't stay in ketosis. I, you know, probably skirt around the edges of ketosis now and then, but, mm-hmm. um, but you know, life happens and, and it was a really important tool to me during chemotherapy to be in strict ketosis, yeah. but it's not where I live my life. I, I, I consider it a tool, not necessarily a lifestyle. And some people do like it as a lifestyle. That's just not mm-hmm. me. Right. Well, I absolutely love um, everything. about. I also love the book, uh, the title hacking chemo. I think that that is such a brilliant title. Um, and I, I, I've started, you know, going through it. I, again, for me, it was not an experience I had to go through with the chemotherapy, but I do love the whole concept of the diet and the nutrition. And really I I, I'm part of a, a health study right now with, um, with one of the local hospitals here in Denver, looking at nutrition and exercise for women who are, are, you know, post bilateral mastectomy, you know, they're Mm -hmm. five years out from their cancer diagnosis and their treatment and everything. So, uh, so that's been very fascinating to go through all of that. And uh, I really enjoy that, but there is so much information here to go over. So I, as we discussed before you and I hopped on and started doing the recording, you will definitely be on numerous times. Uh, for us to go back over because I've got a whole laundry list of stuff that we didn't even touch on. Um, I would love it recording yeah. today, but I, you know, for me, Martha, and I know you're the same way knowledge is power. And I, that's the whole point of me doing this is trying to get this knowledge out to women. So that's exactly if, why I started too. Yeah. I started writing a blog because I was just flabbergasted that people didn't know this. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I had friends who kind of said, well, you write really well. You should think about a book. I was like, 
well, we've got lots of time this winter, you know, <laughs> I'd given up just about everything else to make room for cancer. So, right. um, so I started writing the book. Yeah. And it became hacking chemo, mm-hmm. um, using ketogenic diet, therapeutic fasting, and a kick-ass attitude to power through cancer. I love that. I love that. Cause that's my whole thing is I want to give women the ability to get through their, you know, journey with as much grace and ease and knowledge as possible and kick a little ass on the way. So empowerment, I, self-empowerment. Yep. And self-love. Like they're yeah. just, they're, you know, connecting to your spirit and building your, your circle of teen, your circle of care, all kinds of, yeah, we can talk about lots of great oh, stuff. Oh yeah. All kinds of stuff. I'm so excited to have you back. It's um, so we will have all the information for your book and your blog and everything in, uh, in the episode notes. And I'll make sure that, that people have access to all of that. And thank you again, Martha. This was so amazing for you to join us today. I am very, very grateful. And I can't wait to talk again. I will look forward to that. That'll be great. All right. Thanks. It's so amazing how your diet and attitude can really work to assist in your treatment and your healing. Thank you so much, Martha. We have links and information where you can learn more about her on our website at the www.theboobreport.com slash podcast episode 24 show notes. And a very big thank you to all of you for spending time with us today. Be sure to like and follow us and definitely share the podcast with your friends. You can become an active listener and support this podcast by clicking on the podcast link on our website at theboobreport.com. Take care.